With the beginning of the new year, many of you may have resolved to take on a new challenge like starting a business, changing careers, or launching a creative project, like maybe a podcast. Whatever your next move might be, tackle it with Squarespace. Whether you need a landing page, a professional blog, or an online store, Squarespace allows you to create a custom platform where you can make your latest goals into a reality. Start your free trial today at squarespace.com and enter offer code BINGE, that's B-I-N-G-E, to get 10% off your first purchase. Squarespace, make your next move. Welcome to Entertainment Weekly's Binge of Friday Night Lights, or should I say, welcome to Dylan, Texas. I'm Sam Heifel, or if you'd prefer, slamming Sammy Heifel. And I'm Darren Franich, and no one in Friday Night Lights was named Darren, so I'll have to come up with a good nickname next week. For the next seven weeks, we're going to take you through the entire series of Friday Night Lights, discussing the characters we love, like Julie Taylor, the characters we might not love... Like Julie Taylor. And each season's biggest moments. We've spoken to a number of the people involved in the making of the show, so each episode will feature some behind-the-scenes insight into how this show stole our full hearts. Friday Night Lights is a TV series about a small town in Texas and the high school football team that everyone town is obsessed with. It features football players. It features people who don't like football very much. It features (laughs) wives and mothers and beloved often quite ill grandmothers. It's really a show about America, you could say, or maybe just about humanity. But to kick things off this week, we are going to be talking exclusively about one of the greatest television pilots of all time, if I do say so myself. But before we get into the nitty gritty of the episode, what we loved, what we didn't, I don't think there's anything we didn't love. We'll discuss that. We want you guys to get to know your hosts a little bit more. So Darren and I are going to talk a little bit about the show in general. And by that, I mean, Darren, what's your favorite season of Friday Night Lights? My favorite season of Friday Night Lights has always been season three. Uh, This is the kind of comeback season for the show and for the characters after uh, an interesting, uh, somewhat tangential uh, move in in a different direction for season two. Um, What I love about season three, and and I know we'll talk about a lot, is that it is just sort of nonstop catharsis. It sort of sends off some of the characters into a beautiful sunset, while also uh, leaving some of our characters ultimately in a place that is very different and that sets up the rest of the series in a very interesting way. So I've always pointed to that as being my favorite season, but I'm excited to dig back into that in a couple of weeks. Uh, what about you, Sam? What's your favorite season of, of the show? Mine? I'm not going to say it's a controversial pick because it's not like I'm Ooh, picking it season sounds controversial. two. <laughs> it sounds controversial. Slam and Sammy's coming in hot right Ooh. here in the first episode. Well, I just feel like so many people in this show maybe feel a bit loyal to the original like season one Dylan Panthers, which I completely agree with. I love season one. Anything with Tim Riggins and Matt Saracen and everybody on the field is great. But I think I might have to go with season four. It is a little controversial because it is essentially, you know, you mentioned season three is kind of a reset, but season four is like a whole new deal. Coach Taylor's at a new school. We have a new football team. I think we have Landry might be the only like football player who carries over between the two schools. And so it's a new cast of people. It's a new feel to the show. 
but I love it. I think Michael B. Jordan is a fantastic addition. I love getting to see Coach Taylor in a new light. You really get to see him struggle, and it's a season where you get to watch this guy pull himself up by his bootstraps and kind of he's been teaching these boys how to be men and then you have to watch him kind of practice what he's been preaching and it's just so so good sam you realize that this means the subtext of this show that we are doing right now it's basically panthers versus lions <gasps> you're you're plucky and lovable vince and i guess i'm jd mccoy yeah in this i think i win in this <laughs> There's any doubt that Vince beats J.D. McCoy. Sorry, Darren. But let's kick things off. We're talking about the first hour of this show, which is actually, I would argue, one of its strongest hours. Pilots are kind of notoriously hard in the television landscape, and this is a very, very good one. I want to kick things off with... A very big introduction we get in the first few minutes, but we're going to start with Coach Eric Taylor and his quarterback, Jason Street. We first meet these two when they're giving an interview because they're kind of a big deal in Texas, and Jason Street is supposed to be the second coming, and he's going to do the greatest things football has ever seen. Coach Taylor is, of course, the head coach of the Dillon Panthers for the first time. This is his first time being head coach. And so, Darren, what was kind of your initial take on these two characters and their dynamic? Well, one thing I found so interesting going back and rewatching this pilot, uh, because as you said, Sam, in my memory, I've always thought of this as just being like one of the great episodes of the series and just an incredible panoramic introduction to all the characters. What really struck me was, you know, in our head, those of us who've seen the show, we really associate Coach Taylor with being this, this monumental figure, whether you look at him as someone who's very paternal someone who's very inspiring, or if you're a little older as, you know, someone who grapples with a lot of these issues in a grand way. But I love how the show quickly establishes he's kind of new at this, and everyone is very skeptical of him. One of our first shots of Kyle Chandler is him sort of walking with that classic just Kyle Chandler look of complete unenjoyment on his face as he's sort of like walking across the empty football field. You know, we establish that he sort of got this job, at least in part because he was was basically Jason Street's, you know, offensive coach, you know, who worked very closely with him through Pop Warner. And so it's immediately clear that in an interesting way, this is someone who is immediately his, his job is on the line. And so the stress that he feels is kind of colored all over his face. By comparison, what I just love about Jason Street in this episode and what I love about Scott Porter's performance is that he's just kind of immediately your total ideal of the American high school football player. He's lovable. He's very gracious. He's very generous. It becomes very clear to us very quickly that the Dillon Panthers have a lot of seams and, you know, some of the players don't like each other. But as far as Jason Street is concerned, as he's talking to the news crew, no, we're a great team. Like, there's something very beautifully political about him and very diplomatic. And what I love is that, as we'll come to find out, this is not the Jason Street we're ever going to see after this episode. You know, right. like, something big happens to him. And I I love how, in this weird way, Scott Porter almost gives a radically different performance in this episode than he'll ever get to give through the rest of the series. So just that dynamic between the two of them and how it immediately sets up these parallel tracks on the show that we're following these kids who have one kind of life and also these adults who have a more complicated and complex relationship to football. I just think that's so lovely. What kind of jumps out to you about those early moments between those two characters? Well, it's so funny because you mentioned, you know, that this is a Jason Street that we won't ever see again. And I found myself 
thinking specifically about his hair in that first scene, which like, <laughs> just stick with me, guys. But it's it's so perfect and it's all like swept. It's like he's a politician and he's this, you know, all American dream. And they are like they're really pushing this idea that this kid is not only supremely talented, you know, they spend so much time being like, what college is he going to go to? Are you the next Peyton Manning? I think you're better than Peyton Manning, whatever it is. And from his hair to how he speaks to how humble he is, they really just like put him on this pedestal as both a human being and a football player. And I think it's on purpose, obviously, because when something tragic happens to him in 30 minutes, it's going to seem even more dramatic and even more heartbreaking than if it happened to someone like, I don't know, Tim Riggins, which I don't agree with that because Tim Riggins is the greatest and that would devastate me if anything ever happened to Tim Riggins. But you get what I'm saying. Well, let's talk about that a little bit because what you're saying, Sam, I agree with. You know, so much of what's great about this first episode is, you know, the way that the director, Peter Berg, who had, you know, previously directed the Friday Night Lights movie and was very deep into this material, he kind of brings you into this world that immediately feels very real. And there's something about how Scott Porter plays Jason Street that feels, he seems to be both a person and like the spirit of football and the spirit of Dylan. But then we also are immediately introduced to someone who you could argue may be the true spirit of Dylan. Let's talk about the initial introduction of Tim Riggins on this show, because I had forgotten this show wastes no time in establishing this character. I mean, he's waking up. There are so many beer bottles scattered around the Riggins household that it, it, it seems artful to me. It does not seem as if they've been just like tossed around lazily. How do you kind of feel about our first introduction to Tim Riggins? and to the people who are, like, at least for right now, right in his circle. You know, I wish that I could re-experience seeing the introduction of Tim Riggins again. I want to know what my thought was, because now I think it's genius. I think it's great knowing this character, loving this character. I think everything from literally the first time we see him, which if you all need a refresher, let me remind you, is shirtless Tim Riggins <laughs> passed out on his couch. Tyra comes out of her his bedroom, I guess. I'm not sure. Just kind of lays on top of him. Obviously, his brother, Billy, is his kind of quote unquote father figure in this series and is telling him to get up and get to school or practice or whatever the case is. And they immediately established that Tim is this maybe ladies man, although Tyra's kind of his quote unquote girlfriend. But he's got this long, disheveled hair. He's got a pretty amazing body. I'll say that much. And he just doesn't care. Like, there are beer bottles everywhere. He doesn't care if he's late to wherever he's going. And then they immediately jump to Tim Riggins when he's being interviewed. And it's all about how much he dislikes Smash Williams and how much he loves football because he likes to hurt people. And they just, (laughs) they lean so far into this character. And I love it because I think Tim is one of just my favorite television characters ever but I would love to know what I thought of him like as a human being when I first watched it but now it's so Tim and it's such a great I think jumping off point for what his like entire series arc will be that I really enjoy going back and kind of reliving that but do Darren do you at all remember like how you originally felt about Tim you know what I remember thinking is okay how many football players in Texas have long, beautiful, like, lead singer of Creed hair. Like, I mean, in in my memory, the typical Texas football player was more sort of like, you know, shaved head badass. But I'm kind of right there with you. But what struck me a lot 
the first time watching it, Sam, and what even hits me more upon rewatching it, knowing what will happen to the characters around him, is on this show, every person and every person who's a main character, they're very good about immediately establishing that, you know, these aren't just characters who hang out with, with each other. They each have these social circles that are kind of just as important and that kind of define them. And it's interesting seeing how in this episode, as you mentioned, the first second we meet Tim, we also meet Tyra, a character mm-hmm. who is kind of... I would term her, she's in the side of the show that I react to the most strongly when I first watched Friday Night Lights. Uh, at the time, I didn't really like football as much as I do now, and I still frankly don't know that nearly. <laughs> I, I still couldn't tell you like the difference quite between a linebacker and a fullback, but the show is very good at setting up lots of characters for my demographic who kind of don't like football. You know, mm-hmm. like, like That's very much baked into the Friday Night Lights TV series. And I love how with Tyra, we immediately meet this person who... As much as when we first meet her, we might think, oh, you know, she is sort of a typical, you know, Jersey chaser hanger on. The pilot immediately establishes that that's not really the case. We, t- we talked about that a little bit with uh, Adrian Palicki, who played Tyra, and she had a lot of really thoughtful things to say about how right from the start, there was more to Tyra than just sort of being Tim Riggins' girlfriend. The thing about all these characters on Friday Night Lights is I feel like we all went to school with at least one or two of them, Right. And so one of my dearest friends growing up, I kind of related to Tyra. She kind of grew up in a in a home with, you know, a single mother who wasn't around and, you know, was pretty much raising her, her younger sister by herself. And I just kind of, you know, I thought about her within this character. And she was such a smart, brilliant young girl. So it was like, you know, it was an unfortunate situation. And so that was the thing with Tyra. I never wanted to make her just a bad girl. You know what I mean? It was it was like there's always something deeper to her. Um, you know, even when she goes and visits Jason Street in the hospital, and it's so genuine. You know what I mean? And it's it, she's there's there there like layers to her, and that's kind of where I that's where I where I brought the character to life. And then obviously, kind of the other member of the Riggins posse family whatever you want to call it is Tim's brother which we mentioned as you know his father figure Billy Riggins is so interesting to me because he's a character that I think when I first saw the pilot I honestly thought he wouldn't become much of a character I thought he would kind of always just be that guy he's Tim's older brother he keeps a roof over his head but is kind of grumpy and is a bit of a drunk himself and I never expected much from Billy I am so glad that I was wrong because as the series goes on Billy becomes a crucial character and I think Derek Phillips is amazing as Billy Riggins but did you kind of have a similar thought Darren did you expect Billy (laughs) totally yeah I mean like uh, you took the words right out of my mouth Sam like one of the great things about this show as it goes along is you know the depth of the ensemble and Mm -hmm. the care with which they are so consistent in keeping these seemingly tertiary characters around and quite often bringing them to the fore you know if you've seen Friday Night Lights before you go back and and watch this pilot and you just see people like the mayor are already like fully established and she's someone who will appear never in a major way, but always in the background as this sort of power figure throughout the show. And that's certainly true of uh, Derek Phillips as Billy Riggins. I mean, there's almost a way that I watch this show sometimes where I kind of think Billy is like, 
like, if not the most important character, then someone who certainly contains a lot of the ideas of the show in his arc. And I love how one of the things that they establish very quickly with him is he's just, he has a fascinating, complex relationship with Tim where he's sort of a father figure, but also clearly just as hedonistic and sort of messed up as Tim. Uh, when we talked to Derek Phillips about this, he sort of talked about what it was like establishing that relationship right from the beginning. The most important thing to me from day one with this character was I, I knew coming into it like very early on, like if I don't show that Tim and I like that, I love my little brother. If that's, if that doesn't resonate with an audience, if they don't see that or feel that, then I'm gone. Uh, but I, I remember, I think it was like episode seven or eight, uh, Tim and I in the first season, Tim and I have this big, huge fight. Um, and it was fine that we had the fight, you know, brothers fight, but if we didn't see as an audience that, that there was a, a true love for my brother, then at that point they could have written me off the show very easily. So I was very adamant about the fact that, that the audience see that. Um, cause once they see that I can get and do and say anything I want to, to them because they know the audience will know at that point that, Hey, the guy's a schmuck, the guy's a jerk, but he loves his brother. But I think we knew that, hey, deep down inside, it's coming from this place where there may be resentment, there may be anger, there may be bitterness, but he loves his brother and he'll do anything for him. And if we saw that, then, you know, the sky was kind of the limit in terms of what I could get away with. But Sam, speaking of establishing important relationships in the show, can we talk about Grandma Saracen for a second Please, here? I would <laughs> love to. When we meet Matt Saracen, he is, I, I always kind of describe him as like the Spider-Man of the show, like <laughs> next to someone like Jason Street, who is just such a total like superhuman personality from the moment you meet him. You know, there's just something about Matt Saracen that you immediately love him and feel for him and want to sort of like rub his head just to kind of like make <laughs> him feel better. We kind of meet him as he's sort of racing off to morning practice. And Grandma Saracen, who's someone who will just kind of become like a absolute absolute rock-solid member of the Friday Night Lights cast going forward. What did you kind of think about their initial dynamic and how that kind of sets up those characters going forward? You know, I think there are really only two scenes that contain Grandma Saracen in this pilot. But quite literally, her two lines, like one from each scene, are two that I go back to all the time, <laughs> that I think about, that make me feel things. And it's just, you know, we first meet the two of them. Matt is getting ready to go to school and he's making sure she has everything she needs because as we'll later learn, she has dementia. And so she's sitting in her little chair and with her adorable glasses and he's going off to school and she just looks at him and she says, you, I adore. <laughs> and it is, I mean, from that line, I was like, I love this woman and I love this relationship. And I think the other line is when she later tells tells him that he needs to get a new friend because of Landry being a little bit too <laughs> quirky and not as into football as she would like him to be. But I think it was it's such a the you I adore line is so simple. But I think the combination of just her performance and the line itself, as simple as it is, just so beautifully illustrated what you could expect from these two. And a big part of my love of that relationship is the performance from Luann Stevens. When we talked to her, she actually told us the one bit of advice that kind of helped her really learn who this character is and how to play someone with dementia. I, and I'm sure you too, have known many people with dementia but I had never played anyone with dementia. Peter Berg was directing the first episode and he gave me 
one brief sentence of direction that totally led me that shows what a director can do because okay you know you think you're pretty good you'll be okay but you're nervous and um and he just walked up to me and said don't don't play the dementia and of course that's the way it is in real life i remember my cousin and this woman was based on a lot of texas women that i loved and respect um from just this little town called odell out near vernon texas i didn't live there but i visited there a lot let's see my my grand great grandmother was um etta my grandmother was mary tom her sister was cora ada bell all of these women that i've known all my life and i remember when one of them mary lou my cousin got dementia um you don't go around acting dumb or silly you just say wrong things but in a very normal way so that people have to stop and think wait did she say that and did she mean that so so dementia it's just as you said it it just becomes a part of the person and from the time he said that to me it just was automatic then i knew um it reminded me you know and the one thing I wanted my acting. I can never be Meryl Streep. So what I try to do is to be real. And I guess the best compliment I ever had in acting. So that was my first series. And really, I wasn't that experienced. And one of the, and I don't think I knew much about the computer, but one of the actors came up and said, Hey, did you know that there's a discussion online about you? And I said, no, I, I, I didn't. I said, yeah, they're, they're discussing whether you are an actress or you are a lady they got from a nursing home here. That is the highest compliment that I have ever received in acting because that's, that's the purpose, isn't it? To be that person and to be real. My favorite Grandma Saracen moment in this pilot. Again, this pilot has, like, every time I watch it, I see at least 10 new things that I have not noticed before. But when, later on in the episode, Matt Saracen has to go into the game, and he never expected to mm. be a quarterback, and now he has to be the quarterback, at a, let's say, extremely tense moment for the entire history of his town. When he does have to go in, the camera cuts to Grandma Saracen in the stands, and she says, Good God. <laughs> such a great because you know having having established so quickly how much she loves him mm-hmm. seeing her just react that way and just be like oh boy like there's just a lovely kind of grace note there and uh, the dynamic between those two actors again just a lot of things that get established so quickly in this mm-hmm. pilot that'll play out throughout the show I really like that they first showed Matt not in a football context it's kind of you know they first show Jason Street he's in uniform he is the football player they first show Matt Saracen, and he is the good grandchild who's just trying to get through. And sure, he plays football some. And it's just a beautiful setup for, you know, the journey that this character is going to take. But I thought it was really interesting because if any character on the show is kind of known for being a sweetheart, it is Matt Saracen from this first scene onward. And I remember when we talked to Zach Guilford, he talked about how in the auditioning process, it seems quite a few actors were playing Matt Saracen as if he weren't 
nice and maybe a bit of a jerk. And Zach kind of spoke about how it was evident to him that Matt Saracen was the nicest guy in the world. And so he had some interesting things to tell us about that audition process. You know, I, I remember in my auditions and like, you know, one of the first few times I was in there um, and one of, the, one of the audition scenes is the scene from the pilot with the, with grandma where it's talking about like the green Gatorade and whatnot and what she wants in the fridge. And they're like, okay. And in the scene, you know, he's not annoyed with her. He's like, you know, he's just genuine. Guy, and it kind of was like, yeah, no shit. Like <laughs> clearly that's who this character is. And it gets so annoying because like as an actor, at least me, this is one of my pet peeves. And you go in an audition and a casting director or even a director gives you a note before you do it. And you're like, really? Is everyone so bad? They're playing it that way. And then like, it feels like, oh, and I'm not going to get credit for already knowing that because they just told me. I have to say, I love Zach Guilford's performance so much on this show. It is very difficult for me to imagine him playing someone who is not the nicest kid in the world. I mean, like, you know, we'll talk about this more when we get to Friday Night Lights season two, but there's an element to that season of Matt Saracen not necessarily breaking bad, but certainly becoming more Riggins-like. And part of the fun of it is you just don't buy it. It's just, it's such a Peter Parker in Spider-Man 3, you know, gets gets crazy <laughs> hair and starts doing dance numbers type moment. First Oh, wait, I have to say, one, I'm going to start counting Darren's nerdy references on our (laughs) podcast about a football show. And two, I love that you made a Breaking Bad reference in season two because there's also meth in season two. Oh, that's right. There's meth. And lest we forget, a key actor who has a key role in the end of Breaking Bad, this is the beginning of his career. I am talking, of course, about (laughs) none other than Landry Clark, uh, played by Jesse Plemons, the great actor Jesse Plemons. Uh, Again, like, to sort of think about this show as a mixture of characters who are deeply invested in football and characters who, at least when we meet them, seem totally dismissive of football. Mm -hmm. Like, Landry is definitely the person who, when I first watched this, I immediately related to him, you know? Like, and maybe it's because Jesse Plemons, more so than any of the other actors, looks like a high school student because he was actually kind of that age when this Mm -hmm. filmed. I mean, like, I love Taylor Kitsch on this show, but from the beginning, he is a 30-year-old old man and like it sort of works because I assume all Texas high school football players look like 30 year old men but certainly what Jesse Plemons brings to this show just very casually that first scene between him and Matt Saracen the chemistry is already there to get even nerdier they feel very kind of Rosencrantz and Guildenstern-y like they are just not important to the school not important to the team and I love how that dynamic is just so immediately established between them one quick note here Sam because I'll be bringing this up constantly I'm fascinated by characters' ages on this show (laughs) and how the show is very careful in this first season about playing it kind of fast and loose with how old people are. But we will later come to find out that uh, Landry Clark is a freshman this year because he'll be around for the longest. As you pointed out, he's still in high school in season four. So he's driving Matt (laughs) to school is he like, is, he's, he, he's basically 14 years old. <laughs> I have a theory. What if Landry, who's supposedly the smartest person on this show, was actually held back? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Do you think, is, is he like gaslighting everyone the whole time? <laughs> like, he keeps on telling them, like, yeah, guys, like, I'm like really good at calculus. Like, I, I'm in like advanced classes. I will say, uh, minor Jason Kadem's verse note, I do think that Landry later popped up in some way on Parenthood or in some Parenthood <gasps> video as a musician, right? Yeah. Didn't he pursue greater musical career with the Crucifixorious? <laughs> I don't know. 
know that they spoke about any sort of success, but yes, Crucifictorious <laughs> did appear. It is a web series called Friday Night at the Luncheonette, and Crucifictorious, along with Billy Riggins, shows up and they record a bit of, in the studio. We're gonna okay. So we're good. gonna talk about this more because we have to get to a, a relationship that I think is so important to the show, and certainly watching the show now as a slightly older person than I did the first time uh, is a really defining part of it. The Taylor marriage, Eric Ooh. Taylor and Tammy Taylor. Peter Berg had actually worked with Connie Britton. She played a roughly equivalent character in the movie. But again, you know, the movie did not really give her very much to do just because the movie kind of had to be a little bit more focused on the players and, and on the coach. One of the things I love so much about this pilot is Tammy Taylor is quickly established as someone who is just like a total fellow soldier with Eric Taylor in what kind of turns out to be their sort of occasionally their family war against the town around them. We first meet her when she's kind of coming in very, very late in the evening. Eric Taylor is watching game tape and just, you know, again, looks even more frustrated than, than he usually does. <laughs> she comes in and they have this great little conversation and she mentions that, hey, someone mentioned we're going to a car dealership opening tomorrow. And there's just this great sense of their relationship as equals and as people who are kind of really in this together. And I, I, I find that to be really kind of a great snapshot of how that will go uh, moving forward. Uh, how did you kind of feel about their initial interaction in this in this episode, Sam? Their initial interaction is so simple and just such like a conversation between two married people that looking back on you know, their first scene together. It just makes so much sense knowing what this marriage is kind of going to become. Many critics, many, you know, just journalists have talked about how this show has one of the best representations of a marriage on television. And I think that this first scene is a perfect example of why, because it's just wife walks in because she wants to catch up with her husband. And guess what? You forgot to tell her something. <laughs> and immediately you can <laughs> you can feel the love between the two of them. They're very comfortable. Their chemistry is just absurd and will continue to be one of the like most amazing things, a crucial part of the foundation of the show, I would say. And so I love that it's just kind of Tammy walking in and it's like, look, he's in the football world. She's a huge part of it. There's this whole thing. But it's interesting because you mentioned that, you know, Connie Britton was in the movie and she was, quote unquote, roughly the same character. But, you know, when we spoke to Connie Britton, she mentioned that when Peter Berg brought this idea to her of a television show, she really wanted to make sure her character was going to have a bigger role and a bigger arc and that she was really going to be able to kind of represent these women. You know, it was always, I mean, you're right. It did start with the film for me. Um, and so that was very, very specific because I was playing Sharon Gaines. I was playing an actual person who's still alive and who was written about in the book Friday Night Lights. And, um, you know, so that that was really something to go on. And But, you know, uh, of course, in the movie... The part the part ended up being very small in the movie and and was she was more substantial in the book because um, you know you get to you got to learn more about about her and but uh, and that was actually really it's funny when I think back on that now because when I think about everything that happened between me and Pete Berg 
when he was creating the TV show and, you know, him basically trying to talk me into it and me being like, no, I'm going to be this, you know, this thankless character in this show about football. Like, look at the movie, you know. Um, but you know, that was a lot of it was he, I remember, you know, in his very persuasive way, he was able to talk me into it because he said, you know, this is an opportunity to give these women a voice because they're such, they actually are such an important part of this community and this culture. And, you know, that, that was much more evident to me in reading the book Friday Night Lights because Sharon Gaines is more, um, present there. But, um, so, you know, it but to getting back to your question, yes, uh, I, ha- I, that, I was able to start with that and with that experience, which was a very sort of immersive experience. I mean, shooting the movie Friday Night Lights, um, you know, we shot in Austin, then we shot in Odessa, Texas, which is where the original story actually comes from. And then we shot in Houston. I was in Houston for like two weeks. So it was a real immersion in that world. And, you know, if you know Peter Berg at all, he is an incredibly infectious, passionate person. And so you, you know, you get into his world and you become passionate about that world too. And, and, uh, you know, he's, he's just really amazing at, at making that world really come to life and become very exciting. So, um, that's where it all started for me. But then, when the TV show came along, I, I still wanted to be very true to that, but there was also, a, we all also got a great freedom because we were that, you know, on the TV show, we were actually playing fictionalized characters and that, that gave us a little leeway because, you know, Friday Night Lights, the movie took place in the eighties and the book took, was in the eighties and, um, you know, so it was very, it was a period, basically a period piece, whereas obviously the show was modern day and, and these were fictionalized characters. So, you know, when, so when we started creating those characters, there was a lot more room to let, I was, I was able to let Tammy Taylor be more than, more than just, you know, what I had read on a page and, so then Tammy ended up being kind of an amalgam that was inspired by Sharon Gaines, but because I knew these other women much better, she really was sort of an amalgam of particularly a lot of the women that I grew up with. I grew up in Virginia, but there's something about the Southern woman that is very um, specific to me and was something that I just really understood and knew in my bones very well and loved, love, love, and still love very much. There's so, you know, this, uh, there's just a very, there's a very, there's a character of the Southern woman that I love. And so, so Tammy, I was able to really pull from many of the different women that I had known growing up and throughout my life and, and kind of just put them into like a big, a big mash (laughs) was Tammy born and raised in Texas. You know, we never really touched on that. And that was not, that was, that was sort of by design that we could kind of let them have a little sort of universal, universal aspect to them. 
You know, Sam, Friday Night Lights is really a show about community. And you know what else is all about community? I'm talking about Blue Apron. Blue Apron has an incredible impact on the community. The seafood is sourced sustainably under standards developed in partnership with my favorite aquarium, the Monterey Bay Aquarium Seafood Watch. The beef is raised humanely. Chickens are free range. Pork is raised naturally. Regenerative farming practices are used for produce. Blue Apron can be delivered to 99% of the continental U.S. Hey, Sam... What are some of the meals available in January? You know, funny you should ask, Darren. January features a ton of delicious options. We have seared pork chops, spaghetti squash, spicy shrimp, and Korean rice cakes. Pretty much anything you could want. And even better news, you can check out this week's menu and get your first three meals for free with free shipping, guys. Everything is free if you go to blueapron.com slash binge. That's blueapron.com slash B-I-N-G-E. You will love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron, so don't wait. That's blueapron.com slash binge. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. Yum. And, uh, you know, while we're talking about the Taylor family, I think we should talk a little bit about a character who I really relate to. I really love a lot. Uh, Maybe we'll talk about this more in the weeks to come. Uh, One of our first introductions of Julie Taylor is -hmm. also the first time that she meets Matt Saracen. She's reading Moby Dick. She's reading at a very high level, given that we'll we'll later find out that she is a a freshman this year. And uh, in the first moment of kind of domesticity with the full Taylor family, while Tammy Taylor is, you know, looking through, trying to find a new home for them to live in, Eric Taylor is, again, at home watching game tape, a mind kind of always on football. Uh, Julie Taylor mentions... This is why I love this show so much. She starts explaining to her dad why Moby Dick is the perfect metaphor for Dylan, Texas. <laughs> she says that the football season is the cold black sea representing all these uncertainties. Now, what's not to like about Julie Taylor, <laughs> I ask you? I was I was rewatching this pilot when I saw she was reading Moby Dick. I was already constructing my own analysis of how it relates to the show. And then she did it for me. Oh, she's, my God. She's way ahead of the game on this. I will say, I am not a hater of Julie Taylor. I dislike her at certain points. I like her at other points. I see kind of both sides of the coin, if you will. But I want to take it back to the very first thing she says, which is at the diner when she meets Matt and Landry. Of course, adorable Matt Saracen already has a crush on Julie Taylor, and she's sitting at a table surrounded by football players, obviously annoyed that she's surrounded by football players, and she's reading a book, and Landry convinces Matt to go up and talk to her, and she tells him that they can't sit with her because they're football players and or, like, football adjacent, and it's kind of rude. It's rude, but, you know, you get where she's coming from. Again, I think you have to look at her from the perspective of, and to a certain extent, there's a lovely bit of, if not fantasy, then kind of imagination here. Because we're given to understand that that the Taylors have been in Dylan for a while. I mean, like, you know, they kind of say that he's been coaching Jason Street since Pee Wee. So clearly, Julie Taylor has been living in this town for a long time. And yet there's something about her that almost feels like she is kind of, if you airdrop someone from, you know, coastal elitesville into Dylan, Texas. 
Texas. And some of that you can tell is very much her being standoffish. Like, you know, you kind of imagine her just by virtue of the fact that her parents, her father is so deeply invested in football. You imagine her kind of like rebelling against that to a certain extent in a sure. very positive way. Because again, reading Moby Dick in uh, freshman year. But uh, <laughs> I definitely hear what you're saying. She's immediately kind of throwing down a gauntlet and that will kind of play out for her over the next few seasons in some interesting ways. But we should talk a little bit, uh, Sam, about a character who, to think about someone who is just so invested in football, who is so much like larger than life right from the second you meet him. I forgot just how totally awesome Smash Williams is <laughs> right from the beginning. I mean, like, you know, we've met Jason Street and he is just, you know, as we said, lovable all-American football player. We've met Riggins, just total beautiful waste of a man. <laughs> But then there's Smash Williams, who to me brings in something really interesting in the show. I mean, like, I, I think that in a lot of respects, Friday Night Lights is always having a conversation with itself about football and about what's the best way to play, what's the best way to play honorably, and, you know, how do you not get, get corrupted by it? And we just hear right away, Smash is Mr. Ambition. You know, he's talking about playing in, I think he says that he, he's going to play in, he's going to play at USC. Mm-hmm. He has a lot of the best sort of, this is 2006 lines, because he talks about about breaking up Paris Hilton's marriage. And then when he does this sort of awesome pump-up rap at the opening of the car dealership, he makes a reference to Tom Cruise being Scientological. There's just, you know, there's such a great uh, braggadocious uh, bravado to, to this character that I think that, you know, there's a side of Friday Night Lights that can always feel very kind of emo in a very lovable way. And I just love that right from the start, he is just so much larger than life. How did it kind of feel for you kind of going back and rediscovering how they kind of first brought Smash Williams into the fold? This is a show about a football team in a small town in Texas, but every single football player we meet is very, very different. You have Matt Saracen, who's maybe like, maybe has some natural talent, but isn't that great. He's sitting on the bench, but you can tell he really wants to be good. And then you have Tim Riggins, who's really good, but really doesn't care. And then you have Jason Street, who's phenomenal, but he's very humble and he's just this nice kid who has all these dreams and then you have smash who has the skill but also the ego that goes along with a lot of people i mean really really anyone who's really good at anything whether it's sports writing whatever to be someone of his skill level it's kind of expected that there's an ego to go along with it and he has a big one but i do i love the way they present him as kind of someone who maybe I don't want to say he has the the same skill level of Jason Street because we don't really get to find out but it is just this kid who he has all his eggs in one basket and he knows it and he comes off originally as a bit of a jerk because of that ego and you know he just thinks he's going to rule the world and then as the series goes on you know you'll find out why he feels that way and he really does have all his eggs in one basket and what that does to a teenager who has their whole life ahead of them and so i just i have to say i fell in love with smash williams pretty quickly and i judged myself for it because he's kind of a jerk in the beginning (laughs) but he's such a crucial player both in this like culture as a whole in this small town texas football culture and also in this show and You mentioned him rapping at the dealership opening. He'll later do it at Pep Rally's. Smash's raps are some of the greatest parts of this show. 
And one of my favorite tidbits from when we talked to Gaius Charles, you know, he spoke about the research he did to kind of get into this role. Because fun fact, Gaius Charles did not play football, guys. He had to make himself look real good, real fast. Thankfully, he was athletic. But he did, you know, he researched Texas culture. He researched rappers. And occasionally, even though that first rap was written, he wrote his own raps because he always knew that he had to be prepared. I mean, you know, it's interesting because whenever we had the pep rally, like the first time we had the pep rally, I think, like for the pilot, um, you know, it was kind of written that Smash had this whole routine, you know, and it was, it was written in there. But then as the show kind of went forward, there would be more pep rally scenes, and it wasn't necessarily scripted that Smash would be rapping, but I just assumed, like, they would, you know, you just kind of, like, want to have something in your back pocket just in case they're like, hey, Smash, do something. You know, because the way we shot, you know, we shot very... Um, you know, the very sort of like fluid, um, organic process. So we didn't necessarily stick to what was on the page. Um, so, yeah, when we had pep rallies in the back of my head, I'd be like, okay, let me make sure I got a little something, something, just in case I get the mic. <laughs> We've talked a lot about the kind of individual specific characters that this season will focus very clearly on. But the other great thing about this pilot is that the town is a character right from the word go. I mean, mm-hmm. the idea of this entire kind of society being built around football and how that relates to our individual characters, to me, that is just so perfectly defined in the big car dealership opening. Uh, first first major sighting of Buddy Garrity in his sort of public persona. And obviously, he's going to be so important going forward. But what I love in those moments are, you know, you're seeing kind of our characters interact with the town. And there's this great moment between with Eric Taylor where a couple of the boosters are talking to him and you know they're kind of giving him all this advice and they're kind of asking him if he's ready and they're making him more and more nervous with every second meanwhile you cut over to the mayor is talking to Jason Street and you know he's kind of being like very nice to her very nice to her and she's saying like you need to get mean and I love something else that I noticed on this rewatch she recommends that he listen to Black Sabbath so that he could get meaner there's just you know again one of the things that I think is really magical about Friday Night Lights is that there are times when you really want to live in Dylan. There are times when this just feels like here's a town that is just, you know, everyone kind of knows each other and everyone is very, you know, rooted in this, this, this idea of the small town. And then there's other times when it's like Lord of the Flies and you're like, oh, everyone knows each other and like they're kind of gunning for each other. I mean, like, you know, Eric Taylor can be on top of the world or he can be public enemy number one. And I think that comes across so well um, in that sort of first big event scene. Uh, what's your kind of take on how that scene kind of sets up Dylan as the sort of setting and character of the show, Sam? Yeah, I think I would argue that it's the most important scene in the pilot, which might be saying a lot considering what's about to happen. But, you know, it is, you've mentioned Eric Taylor's kind of grumpy face and he's walking around and he's very stressed. But this is the scene that shows you why he has that face and what he's up against. And when you become head coach of a football team in Texas, it is not becoming head coach of a football team anywhere else in the nation. And it is the mayor talking to a 17-year-old boy, (laughs) something around there, and like telling him how to play. And it is literally everyone in the town having an opinion. And you lose a game and you could lose your job. And you're just looking at all of these extremely rich 
interesting, sometimes annoying characters and how they're going to interact and the world in which all of these people that we've met have to live and how that's going to affect things. And I just, I love it. I especially love the hairstyles of some of the women when they're trying to get Tammy in her book club or their wine club, whatever it is. Like it, this show is just so, as someone, I did not grow up in Texas, so maybe I don't have the authority to say this, but it just feels so true to what a small southern town feels like. And I think that it just, from the get-go, it tells you what you can expect, which is crazy people. Yeah. But it's great. Yeah, crazy people, but also specifically people who are crazy for football. Mm-hmm. And what I think is great about that scene, you know, again, you're kind of seeing everyone party and like, you know, Tyra and Lila, we kind of established that dynamic right from the top. I find that interesting because, you know, again, in a lot of respects, Tyra, as the show moves on, she's kind of the character who changes the most, I would say, Mm -hmm. like, and almost kind of quite purposefully is sort of like trying to change herself. And I love how, like, you kind of get a little bit of that dynamic established in there. You kind of mentioned the book club scene. And Mm -hmm. again, what I like about that is there's these moments where the people in the town almost seem like... They're almost kind of like invasion of the body snatchers, but instead of being body snatched by aliens, it's football. You just feel that like football comes in and everyone just starts acting a little bit crazier. So we should get to, Sam, the game itself, the game that everyone is sort of like, you know, anxiously preparing for this whole episode. As some episodes will be in the future, it's constructed around the week leading up to the game. When the game begins, uh, it immediately becomes clear that things might not be quite going according to plan. The Dylan Panthers are not necessarily totally thwacking these guys. And as we'll soon learn, anything less than total thwackage will lead to the entire <laughs> town going into open rebellion. How did you kind of feel like rewatching this sort of first game uh, of the show? It's interesting because it is, spoiler alert, the only game we get to see Jason Street play. And so it it's a very different dynamic than what I felt like I was used to seeing because I've watched so many episodes of this show and so many games and I just wasn't kind of used to having this, this like amazing savior in the middle of it all. But it is the thing I really like about the way they handle the game. And I think the thing that made me feel like this wasn't just a show about football was just when you watch the football game, it is still so much more about the characters. It's about how Jason Street's performing, how Coach Taylor's feeling. You know, you flash to people in the stands and it's about like how they're doing and how the game is affecting them. And yes, it's about if they win or lose, but it's more about what happens to these people if they win or lose. Exactly right. And that's why I think it's so important that the series establishes the people around the players because it becomes this beautiful rhythm whenever somebody gets hit or, you know, whenever someone, if someone on the field does something good, then we see how like their circle is reacting. And then in turn, you know, certainly when Jason Street gets hit, it's such a gut punch because it hits everyone at the same time and the stands just go totally quiet and his parents just go totally quiet and Lila, you know, leaves, you know, immediately stops being this sort of like perfect um, rally girl cheerleader and immediately you just feel as if everything happening on the field in this very visceral way, as you're saying, Sam, it hits everyone in town all at the same time. Well, and I think the importance of all of this, the thing that's really interesting is We talked about, you know, at the dealership scene, you understand how important football is to these people. But I think there's one line in this pilot that demonstrates how important football is to people, which is right before the game when they're 
dealing with the little Pop Warner League and there are these young boys and they want to ask Jason Street all these cool questions. And it's like, Jason Street, like, do you think God loves football? And Jason kind of looks at him and he's like, I think everybody loves football. And that is like, (laughs) that is the definition. And that's what makes this moment so heavy. And that is, I think... I mean, that could literally, it could be Everybody Loves Football instead of Friday Night Lights. That could be the title of this show. And I remember when we spoke to Scott Porter, he talked about how originally, like, his audition scene was something with Lila because, of course, their relationship is very important. But he actually went in and switched his audition scene. And one of the scenes he read for them was the Everybody Loves Football because he felt like it was such a big moment. You know, towards the end of the pilot, with what happened to Jason, I knew that this was just a role that was going to be special. And I wanted it so badly. And I also didn't really understand how the whole pilot season thing worked. So I ripped out a couple of scenes out of my pilot script and went into the casting director's office and said, hi, I know we've never met before, but I think the scenes you picked for the Jason Street audition are the wrong ones. So I'd like to uh, perform these other two scenes from the script and uh, he shut off the camera and goes, okay, then we're going to do something called a pre-read where you're going to do the scene for me off camera and then I'll maybe turn the camera on if you're any good. And luckily he thought I was all right and they sent it to, you know, I was living in New York at the time, they sent it to LA and Pete saw it and liked the gumption of somebody doing scenes that weren't the scenes they had picked. So, you know, I got lucky and I, I went out. But Jason from Jump was somebody that I felt connected to just throughout my own journey through, you know, through sports and, and, you know, I, I did end up playing football in college and I, I was recruited a little bit. So I felt like I knew a little bit of what he was going through, but more importantly, I was really good friends with the guy at our school that ended on go ended up going to play for four years at Ohio state, ended up making it to the NFL. So I felt like I knew, you know, what that meant to him and I could kind of imagine what it would feel like to lose it all. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, from Jump, Jason Street was, some, was a character that was so attractive to me. And it's, it, it was for personal reasons, but then also for reasons, you know, like just it was written so well. And I, I, had, I didn't read anything else that pilot season that even could touch Friday Night Lights. And, and uh, luckily, I just I was able to be a part of it. I felt like the God loves football scene was so much more important with Jason because he really is just such, he he really at his core, you know, they kind of set this guy up as, you know, he could be that egomaniac sports star, that young kid who has been given everything his whole life and has an ego because of it. And it's kind of like we create our own monsters in the sports world, you know, when an athlete does something crazy and way out there, all these sports fans kind of also have to take a little bit of, credit for it because we've told them that they were this this fantastic athlete and they could do nothing wrong and you know they're gods amongst men and and i didn't feel like jason was that kid uh you know smash kind of sort of was that kid but smash had had that as a shield you know that was a veneer because of things that had happened with smash which they really explore throughout the show as well but jason was the furthest thing away from your young cocky you know uh, white kid from a rich family who is just going to get his way and end up going to Notre Dame. You know, he he actually was really humble and was very connected to his community. So I, I felt like the scene with him sitting with all those kids from the PB football team in the in the weight room, talking to them and 
you know, Jason Trees, do you think that God loves football? And yeah, I think, I think everybody loves football. It's very much, you know, very humble and very, uh, very important for me to do that scene and, and make sure that you, that everyone felt just how earnest this kid really was. And I, I feel hopefully like we did it. And then the impact of Jason's injury at the end of the episode isn't, you know, is, it just takes on a different kind of feeling. What's great about that moment also, Sam, the everybody loves football scene is to me, that's like the apex of who Jason street is and mm-hmm. also who he in some ways won't ever get to be again. And, you know, mm-hmm. w- w- when I say that, I'm not saying he becomes a worse person anyway, far from it, but that is him as football hero. These kids are just looking up to him and worshiping him like he's a god. Again, this is sort of where I like the fact that now I'm 31 and some of the high schoolers don't look like high schoolers, but it still works for me because it, it makes someone like Jason Street look just like someone I can look up to still. When he is kind of brought low in the game, what's interesting about how it plays out, which I'd kind of forgotten about, is there's the sort of varsity blues slash any given Sunday moment where the backup quarterback goes into the game. You know, Mm -hmm. like this is something where if you'd watched a lot of football stuff in the years leading up to Friday Night Lights, you've kind of seen this this moment before, this idea of, uh uh-oh, like the quarterback who was not prepared now has to kind of go right in. But as they're cutting between Matt Saracen, who initially is just doing all kinds of tomfoolery, basically throwing a football the way that I would throw a football. Um, (laughs) As we cut from him, from that into sort of being centered by the coach and being able to lead them to victory, we're also cutting over to the hospital where just a very beautifully filmed and visceral fashion. We're seeing Jason Street. He's being cut out of his uniform. They have to kind of like drill out his helmet. They're doing surgery. And you kind of cut from that, which is at the time, I'm not sure I've really seen anything like that in any sort of a sports movie or any kind of a sports context just you know, this idea of like the brutality that can happen yeah. you cut over to they're winning the game and everyone's kind of cheering and for a moment it sort of seems like the crowd has already kind of forgotten about Jason Street and I think that kind of gets it something really beautiful and also complex about how this show treats football that on one hand there's the, there's the read on that scene which is something truly terrible has just happened and for these people what is the one thing that can kind of bring them out of that funk that can sort of you know make this night feel redemptive it's football it's Matt Saracen sort of discovering his ability to actually throw a football on the field and there's something really <laughs> inspiring about that but the show doesn't let you forget like but also I mean something really terrible just happened that happened on this same field mere moments ago. And I, I really love that. And, you know, I think it expresses a thoughtfulness that would really define this show going forward. One thing that, Sam, I have to ask, because you're my go-to football expert now, whenever I see in a football movie or football show, whenever I see them call lots of plays that I would often call playing Madden NFL video game, <laughs> I tend to assume that it's not really that realistic. How realistic is it that they call a Statue of Liberty right after an onside kick, a successful onside kick, I might add. What's your what's your read on that as the uh, football expert for the show? Uh, I think it depends on how ballsy your coach is, quite, <laughs> on, quite honestly. You know, it's so funny because these, you know, these shows in these movies always have these big moments because obviously they have to dramatize it. It's entertainment. 
But, you know, I was home recently watching. I want to say it was Florida State versus Michigan. I could be wrong, but it was a football game and it was college. And it was this insane game where one of the teams like came back from being down by so many points. And then at the last minute, the other team blocked a field goal and ran it back for a safety and it was a one-point game with less than a minute left and it's there is some like validity to these crazy moments and yeah, I think totally right yeah I always remember like uh, one of my favorite football games because it had an actual narrative that I could follow outside of the game was the 2007 Fiesta Bowl the mm-hmm. team that wound up winning one of the ways they scored was by doing a flea flicker which I think <laughs> has never actually happened outside yeah. of Madden NFL and then at the end of the game one of the players on the winning team proposed to his cheerleader girlfriend so like you know these things do happen these things do actually happen it's just that on friday night lights they seem to happen with slightly more uh slightly more occasionally than they may happen at an actual high school football game (laughs) well i think the thing that's smart is that you know they they put mass harrison in the game and he doesn't just kill it like you said, he goes in and acts like Darren Franich for the first couple plays and throws the ball into the back of his own player's head and kind of stumbles a bit. And yes, sure, he eventually pulls it out. But I think he had to because I think they had to establish that he has a natural talent or else the rest of the season would not work because, I mean, if your player just doesn't have it, they don't have it. So I think they needed to have this big moment for him to prove that there's something there that they can work with because obviously Jason Street is paralyzed. He's not coming back. And so it was important for that reason, but it was also important because from about here on out, Matt Saracen is going to struggle. So he had to have this great moment so that we would all believe in him for the next however many episodes when he's kind of going to suck and really need help here and there. And that was one of the things when we spoke to Zach Guilford, he kind of talked about how he had this great moment and then they just kind of kept trying to bench him for the rest of the series. One of the things that's so great about that show, um, and Pete Berg had even said while we were shooting the pilot, and what he loved about kind of the story is, you know, you take this character, Jason Street, who's the All-American, you know, like Captain America, you know, about to go to Notre Dame or whatever. He's, you know, in the small Texas town, he's like the mayor or the president. Um, and then in one moment, that's all taken away from him. Um, and then there's this other kid who's just like, I'm just on the team. No one knows who I am. And then all of a sudden, like, the pressure of the world is on his shoulders. And he doesn't, you know, just step up and is like, oh, my God, I'm the most amazing quarterback now. He struggles. And, like, you know, obviously in the pilot, he has to win the game, but it, like, is just a stroke of luck. Um, and it's just such a cool, it's, it, it's you know, more real life because it's not like, you know, in a normal movie, it'd be like, oh, and Matt Saracen goes in and he's the most amazing quarterback anyone's ever seen. And then, but over the course of season one, it's like, you know, he's still struggling to even keep his job. I feel like for the whole show, like they kept trying to bench me. I was like, come on. First it was Voodoo, then it was JD, then it was like, Man, it was bogus. <laughs> After the Dillon Panthers are triumphant, there's the brief moment of cheering when the Dillon Panthers win. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the camera cuts to Eric Taylor and he looks at Tammy Taylor and they are already they're already past the triumph. They're already kind of into the concern. And then, you know, that kind of radiates outwards and everyone at the game sort of says a little prayer led by Smash Williams for Jason Street. We cut over to the hospital where everyone is congregating. I noticed actually, Sam, that we briefly see Riggins and Smash hug.
thug at the hospital, which mm-hmm. in a weird way, that's pretty much the end of them as enemies, essentially. Like, it's funny that the pilot establishes that so much and then never really, never quite really picks that up again. But Well, until Smash might sleep with a certain somebody. That's true. But I mean, even, even, even then, that sort of winds up being more of the end of a certain somebody's relationship with, uh, <laughs> with, with Riggins. But I was very struck watching this episode that... Up until Jason Street gets injured, you kind of have this sense of, okay, like, I see where this town is going, and I I, I see how this season is going to go, and you almost kind of wonder, you know, what would an alternate reality version of Friday Night Lights have been if Jason Street had stayed with the team, and if Matt Saracen had never really, you know, gotten his, his chance in the spotlight. And what I love is that, you know, the show having established all of these interesting character arcs, it ends on this idea that now everything is going to change. Like, this town who you already kind of know, these dynamics we've already established, everything is kind of going to be shifted. And I, I think it's expressed so well in the final speech by Eric Taylor, beautifully read by Kyle Chandler. Give all of us gathered here tonight the strength to remember that life is so very fragile. We are all vulnerable. And we will all, at some point in our lives, fall. We will all fall. We must carry this in our hearts. That what we have is special. That it can be taken from us that when it is taken from us, we will be tested. We will be tested to our very souls. stuff, Sam. I'm crying already just thinking about uh, where all those characters are going to go uh, from here. Um, Are there any other kind of little bits and bobs you wanted to talk about uh, just upon your rewatch of this pilot, Sam? Yeah, I feel like there are a few things we need to cover. One, I will just say briefly about that speech. I think that was the moment for me I realized how great the show was going to be. Just the power of the words of that voiceover, Carl Chandler delivering that voiceover, watching, like you said, Smash and Riggins hug after they've kind of established this tension, watching Julie hug Lila, who they don't really know each yeah. other. Are those two people <laughs> ever going to, I think they might have like two conversations over the course of the show right. from there. <laughs> exactly. But it's just this beautiful coming together. And I literally, that speech makes me tear up every time, A, because it's good and moving, but B, because I think it was the moment that I fell like completely in love with the show for good reason but I want to also talk about the moment when Jason is actually like laying on the field there is one particular thing that always makes me cry because this kid has just thrown an interception he tackled the guy and now we know he's paralyzed he doesn't realize it yet and he's laying there as Lila is sobbing and his mom is sobbing and they're trying to figure out what's wrong with him And they are cutting the helmet off his head or whatever they're doing. They do that at the hospital. But they're holding his head still. And I remember they're asking him to do something. And they they tell him he's doing a good job. And Jason Street, in this worst moment of his entire life, just looks up and says, thank you. And it's the sweetest. And it is the, like, 
definition of who this kid is. And it's the moment you kind of realize that this humble act is not an act and he's just such a sweet kid. And I think the thing that's super interesting when we talk to Scott Porter is he actually improvised that line, which I think says a lot about how well he knew that character and kind of where he was going to go from there, which I thought was really cool. You know, the injury, of course, the the moment of injury on the field, um, laying there in a completely silent stadium when there's hundreds of people around you and, you know, actually being put onto, you know, a, a stretch board like that and being carried to an ambulance, uh, you know, that scene was, you know, it was in the pilot. And, you know, we hadn't gotten to the series yet, and was, it was me just going, wow, this is real. This is this is me embarking on this, on this journey and, and, and hoping that I could, you know, do it justice. But in the middle of it all, uh, I said, I said, thank you when I'm laying down on the field in that moment. And it was just, you know, Pete Berg and, uh, was always about just ad living, keeping it alive, just saying whatever you want to say, talk, talk, talk. And I just uttered thank you. And it got put in. And for a lot of people that, I talked to afterwards that, you know, that thank you was very impactful. Uh, and I, I don't know why it's just two simple words and it's, you know, but, but to see this kid, he doesn't, he just doesn't know what's happening. He doesn't understand what's happened to him. And he's just it's the kind of the last moment that you see him before he realizes everything's changed. And his last two words, that, that old Jason Streeter, thank you. So, you know, that, that scene was, in, was insane. One thing that I would have mentioned, Sam, that I noticed kind of on, on this watch, again, I, I'm very interested in this idea that Eric Taylor got this job, uh, at least in part or entirely, because of his close proximity to Jason Street. I mean, it's not something that's really hit on very explicitly, but watching it this time, I, I was very aware, given what will happen to Eric Taylor uh, in season three and how certain professional jeopardies arise, that his career is very much locked into Jason Street's career. And that came up in an interesting way. There's a brief moment that I'm not sure you remember, Sam. It's this really short scene that really stuck out to me where um, Eric kind of goes outside and meets a guy who he calls Coach. Mm -hmm. Don't think the character really has a name, but guy called Coach, sort of an older man who says that he's been kind of scouting out Westerly for him. And they never really, you know, first they talk about Westerly and then the coach kind of gives him some advice, basically kind of tells him like, you know, how's the family? Well, you know, things are going to get a whole lot worse from here. And I was watching it. I was almost wondering, this is my hot theory that I, I, I have no idea if the show ever confirms. Like, is this the former coach of the Dylan Panthers or is this some coach that Eric Taylor has worked with before it's it's such an interesting scene and it's kind of the one moment of eric kind of talking to someone who seems to kind of understand what he's going through and you know mm -hmm. they they both kind of call each other coach it's, it's just an interesting little moment that i never noticed before that really uh, stuck out to me it is he's a mystery man because they just never say they never say is he like we don't see him on the sidelines so i don't think he's an assistant coach of eric's maybe he was the former coach but yeah he just seems like a nice guy who's there to help him out and then also warn him once again don't lose yeah yeah as if as if he hadn't been been warned enough do not lose or else <laughs> or don't they have a great touch about like it's just football or yes, something they have yes, that great that's moment. exactly right exactly right. they yeah, exactly right. they say it, it's it's just football it's it's just mm. football and i i like how 
you know, that also just establishes, again, in this very casual way, you see all these characters from so many different perspectives. And there are people who look up to them, people who look down on them. Coach Taylor in particular, he's someone who, with the rest of the town, he's almost kind of like just this this whipping boy a lot of the time. But then in turn, he is sort of like the icon that his players look up to. And I, I just think it expresses something really intelligent about this show, that you see all these people from all those different perspectives. Sure. And I think there is one final scene we have to talk about, and it's the perfect ending point because it's Texas forever, baby. Texas forever. <laughs> I've never been to Texas, and I still believe in Texas forever. I still Texas believe in forever. Texas forever. So the scene we're talking about is Tim and, well, Tyra's there briefly, but Tim is sitting around a fire with a couple people, but mainly Lila and Jason, and he's got his beer, and it's where Tim kind of lays out his entire life plan, which is essentially to live in Jason Street's guest house and, like... <laughs> <laughs> like chill while Jason Street is in the NFL and again it's the speech that just makes what happens to Street that much more impactful a little bit later but it has become kind of this iconic moment on the show of like you know here's to friends living large in Texas Texas forever which becomes a motto of the show so I think we should take a moment and kind of relive that moment here's to God in football in 10 years from now Street Good friends living large in Texas. Texas forever, Street. Texas forever. And they all just look so young in that scene. That's what gets me. I mean, like, and again, thinking about how we've seen Jason Street in such a grander fashion, to see him kind of like, you know, he's got Lila there with him, just kind of hanging out with his best friend, who is also his polar opposite in so many ways. But you can you can just feel the love that's there. So many moments in this pilot will become iconic parts of the show. And, you know, we'll talk about how the scene of the football flying through the air and the way that kind of repeats. Uh, clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. Just so many things established right from the beginning. And I mean, Texas Forever, that's an idea that goes all the way through to those characters' kind of final scene, all the way through to, you know, the final moments of the whole show. And Sam, I think that about wraps it up for us, but uh, everybody out there who's listening, we want to hear all your comments or questions about Friday Night Lights. We're hoping to have a really fun back and forth about all five seasons going forward. Uh, you can email us at binge at EW.com or tweet at us. She's at Sam Highfill. I'm at Darren Franich. Uh, don't forget to subscribe. Uh, you can leave us a review on iTunes. We love hearing from you. Uh, and, you know, while you're at it, watch with us. It's it's all there on Netflix. Make this a full experience uh, next week. We'll be talking all about the rest of season one. A, a truly epic, just Russian literature, you know, <laughs> massive, massive season of television. The kind that, you know, they barely even really make anymore so uh we're excited to go on this journey with you some might say it's a lot like moby dick <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>